continuing in Joel chapter 2, verses 18 to 32. So the words should be on the screen or the little handout in the bulletin. Verse 18, then the Lord was jealous for his land and took pity on his people. The Lord replied to them, I am sending you grain, new wine and olive oil, enough to satisfy you fully. Never again will I make you an object of scorn to the nations. I will drive the northern horde far from you, pushing it to a parched and barren land. Its eastern ranks will be drowned in the Dead Sea and its western ranks in the Mediterranean Sea. And its stench will go up. It will smell, its smell will rise. Surely he has done great things. Do not be afraid, land of Judah. Be glad and rejoice. Surely the Lord has done great things. Do not be afraid. You wild animals, for the pastures in the wilderness are becoming green. The trees are bearing their fruit. The fig tree and the vine yield their riches. Be glad, the people of Zion. Rejoice in the Lord your God, for he has given you the autumn rains because he is faithful. He sends you abundant showers, both autumn and spring rains as before. The threshing floors will be filled with grain. The vats will overflow with new wine and oil. Verse 25, I will repay you for the years the locusts have eaten. The great locusts and the young locusts, the other locusts and the locust swarm, my great army that I sent among you. You'll have plenty to eat until you are full. And you will praise the name of the Lord, your God, who has worked wonders for you. Never again will my people be shamed. Then you will know that I am in Israel, that I am the Lord your God, and that there is no other. Never again will my people be shamed. And afterwards... I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams. Your young men will see visions. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days. I will show wonders in the heavens and on the earth, blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. For in Mount Zion and in Jerusalem there will be deliverance, as the Lord has said, even among the survivors whom the Lord calls. May God bless his word this morning. Well, you'll find an outline in your handouts today. Uh, the first point is short, the second point is long, and the third point is short-ish. Um, and you're probably tired of hearing my voice already this morning, but this is God's voice speaking to us, so let's pray and ask for his help. Father, we pray that you would open our eyes, that we would see wonderful things in your word this morning. Amen. Well, we humans, uh, we, we react different ways to suffering, don't we? Uh, we see that in our own lives, we see it in our families, we see it amongst friends and colleagues and neighbours, 
Uh, we don't all react the same way when we suffer. Uh, but I do think there's one thing that's universal. I think there's a question that every one of us ask when we suffer. Will this suffering end? Will it end? Will it go on forever? Will it stop? And if the answer is yes, it will end, when will it end? Soon? Far? When? Will this suffering end? I have a family member uh, who's been riddled with cancer and kidney failure and all sorts of illness and disease and complications for well over 30 years. I have another friend who's uh, been struggling with same-sex attraction and he's trying to honour God and he's committed to obeying what our Lord's commands are and yet he struggles with these desires that war within him. He asks, will this suffering end? We have another friend who's struggled for a long time with chronic fatigue and, and incredible crushing depression. She just wants to die. And yet she wants to honour and live for Jesus. And she asks, when will this suffering, uh, will this suffering end? I know people trapped in terrible family situations... I know an Anglican archbishop in Nigeria uh, who he and his wife have adopted now, well, last, last check, 74 children who'd been orphaned simply because their parents were Christians and they were killed by Boko Haram and Islamic State. So I think all of these people desperately want to know, will this suffering end? And if it will, When? Well, it's great that God is so kind and gentle with us. It's great that God knows we have this question and he actually has given us an answer. Well, as we've seen the last few weeks, uh, the prophet Joel was sent uh, to kind of the remnant, the dregs, the, the last few remaining survivors of God's people while they were in the midst of incredible suffering. And Joel's message to them actually was, well, this isn't the end, guys, there's there's more coming, there's worse coming than what we've already gone through. And surely Judah, God's people, must have asked the question, will this suffering end? And if so, when? Well, God poured his spirit out on the prophet Joel to give an answer to his people. And first God says, yes, the promise of God. Have a look at verse 18 with me. Then the Lord was jealous for his land and took pity on his people. The Lord replied to them, I am sending you grain, new wine, olive oil, enough to satisfy you fully. Never again will I make you an object of scorn to the nations. I will drive the northern horde far from you, pushing it to parched land. It will be drowned in the sea. See, God promises to Judah, he will put an end to their turmoil. He will put an end to this army of locusts or army that's so many of them, it's, it's like locusts. They will be done away with. 
the famine will be over, the drought will end. God will give them more than he took. Have a look at verse 25. I will repay you for all those years, all those years of turmoil. I'll repay you for the years the locusts have eaten, the great locusts, the young locusts, the other locusts, the locust swarm, my great army I sent among you. Verse 26, you will have plenty to eat until you're full. Akili and I are on both sides of our families. We've got some extended family who are crop farmers. And all farmers know some years you won't make an income. You won't harvest a crop. And actually on those years you actually go backwards because you pay for the privilege to do all that hard work all year and then get nothing for it. Uh, and, and every farmer knows, you know, those years that you might get no rain, you might get too much rain, you might get rain at the wrong time, you might get mice plagues, locust plagues, soil diseases. There's all sorts of reasons a farmer knows why one year or two or three, you might not bring in a harvest. And when, but what they count on is that for all the bad years, they count on good years making up for it. A bumper crop to kind of wipe the debt of the last couple of drought and famine. But when there's bad year after bad year after bad year, you, you start to think about selling the farm and working at McDonald's or something less stressful. <laughs> well, for God's people, Judah... They'd actually given up on God, not during the bad years, but during the good years. When God had poured out his blessing on them, they had everything. They had better than everything. They had God as their God living with them. And they were his people. Yet they had chased some fanciful dream of something maybe better as they'd chased false gods. And so the suffering that Judah was going through in Joel's day was because they'd bailed on God during the good years. But God hadn't given up on them. He promised to restore them. And after these hard years that God had sent them to turn their hearts back to him, to show them they desperately need him, that the false gods are no gods at all, to show them that blessing is only found when we are united to God and in perfect relationship with him. That's why the locust plague and the drought and the famine and the fire and the army and, and all that turmoil. And yet God said, I will pay you back. I will pay you back good for all those bad years. And I'll pour back so much good that the good will outweigh and overdo and make you forget the bad. And you know, for us today, for Christians now, when we go through suffering, it's, it's not because of the same reasons as Judah. When we suffer, it's not because of a sin. It's not because of some particular thing we don't. I mean, sometimes we do something stupid and then we pay the consequences. But suffering we go through is not punishment for having walked down on God. It's just part of being in a world that's broken. Part of being in a world that is longing for Jesus to come and renew it and build his kingdom. 
And actually, Jesus even said that we suffer because we are Christian. If we follow him, we will suffer. Because we live in a broken world that hates Jesus and anyone attached to him. But in that suffering, particularly when we go through suffering that goes on and on and on, we can think about giving up on Jesus. We too can start thinking that this turmoil, this hardship will never end. That there's no light at the end of the tunnel and there's no harvest at the end of this drought. But actually here, God promises that suffering will end for his people. Have a look at verse 21, what he says. This is Joel, after just hearing God's promise, talking to the people of Judah. Do not be afraid, people of Judah. Be glad and rejoice. Surely the Lord has done great things. Do not be afraid. Even you animals, don't be afraid. Even you, you pastures, you fields, you, you bush, you wilderness. The pastures in the wilderness are becoming green. They're dry now, they're dead now, they're barren now. But you will eat again. The trees are bearing their fruit. It's not ready or ripe yet, but it will come. The fig tree and the vine yield their riches. Be glad, people of Zion. Rejoice in the Lord, for he's given you the autumn rains because he is faithful. He's sent you abundant showers, autumn and spring rains as before. And so as that water does its work and the crop grows... And finally comes the day of harvest. Then your threshing floors and your barns will be filled with grain. Your vats will overflow with new wine and oil. Verse 25, I will repay you for the years the locusts have eaten. See, one day all of God's promises will come to fulfilment. And those good years when Christ returns will so far outweigh all the bad that we might start to even kind of wonder if they ever really happened. The suffering will end. And so Joel says, don't be afraid. Rejoice. God has promised to repay. And so as we go through suffering, as you look around at people who aren't suffering the same way you are, as you feel like you're missing out, like they're getting it good, and God is making us miss out on the good. We need to remind ourselves, actually, we, we won't miss out. At the end, when everything's levelled out, we so far from missing out, we'll look back and we'll say, God has supplied everything I need in abundance. He has repaid me for the years that the locusts have eaten. See, even the, even the good life, even a kind of charmed life, you know, even a life of someone you know, growing up in a, a, a good, wonderful family, uh, which is wealthy and safe and secure and they have good friends, and they go through life, and they're never sick. 
They don't have a marriage breakdown. Everything goes well. Their kids grow up. Even the charmed wife. Even the best things of this world. It's actually a little bit like the scraps that are scraped out of the plates at the back of a restaurant into the dumpster. You know, they've got traces of what was once amazing. You know, you can smell the bolognese or the, you know, the sushi or the the jus or whatever it is. But actually, the good things in this world, even though there's, there's traces of the goodness of when God first made everything very good, it's actually a little bit tainted with bin juices and other people's saliva. It's kind of mashed and mushed up and it's got little bits of floor sweepings in it. So even the best that this world and this life has to offer us, it's not that great. Not compared to what is coming. So there's no comparison with the good and the harvest that will come, that God will pour out on his people. This life doesn't even compare. It's a bit like if you end up with a lifetime supply of Penfolds Grange. You don't kind of, you're not disappointed that you missed out on some Passion Pop uh, or some $10 cask wine. That's what it will be like when the Lord repays for all the hard years. Now Judah received a partial fulfilment of these promises. God did bring them back to the land. He did bless them. But obviously that it wasn't the final fulfilment. Because he promised that never again will you be put to shame. Never again will you be scorned. The final fulfilment and the promise still stands. As we wait for Jesus to return when this broken world will be reborn, rebirthed, resurrected into a new creation. And on that day, verse 26 says, we will praise the name of the Lord our God who has worked wonders for us. On that day, never again will we be shamed. Now you you might be in a bad season right now. You might be feeling like year after year, the crops haven't come. Year after year, you've suffered. And you know, actually, that season may last until the day you die. But then that season will be overtaken by a season that never ends. A season of joy and blessing of God's overflowing goodness on that day when Christ returns. So twice, Joel tells us, don't be afraid of what you have to suffer. Twice, Joel tells us, be glad and rejoice because there is an end. It will come when Jesus returns. He will repay for all the years that the locusts have eaten. He will repay those Nigerians whose houses are burned, whose parents are killed, who are dragged out and beaten, who are put to death 
to repay my family member. All those years of cancer and kidney failure and constant dialysis. Who will repay my friend? Those years of depression and chronic fatigue. Who will repay my friend for those years of struggling with his own desires at war within him? Who will repay you and me for the years that the locusts have eaten? And on that day, verse 27, we will know for certain that only Yahweh is God. And we'll never consider selling the farm again on that day. Well, that all sounds wonderful, but how can we know? Well, here comes to the shortish point, the guarantee of the Spirit. See, God has given us a guarantee so we can know that it will end and the blessing will come. Have a look at verse 28. Afterward, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams. Your young men will see visions. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days. I'll show wonders in the heavens and on the earth, blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. For on Mount Zion and in Jerusalem, there will be deliverance, as the Lord has said, even among the survivors whom the Lord calls. This is an enormous promise. See, just as God's spirit had confirmed through Joel that God's promises are true, just as God's spirit had spoken to and through Joel that God is good, that God will do what he has promised, that blessing will come, that the suffering will end, God has spoken through his spirit in and to us who have called on the name of Jesus. His promises are true. There is an end to the suffering. You will be repaid with overabundant blessing. Well, how do we know that God's people will never again go hungry? How do we know that God's people will never again be riddled with disease? Never again driven out of their homes or killed or turned into slaves, or brought to shame, or mocked, or beaten. We know because he has poured out his spirit on us. He has given us the guarantee of what is to come. He has shown great wonders. Christ, the Son of God, performed incredible miracles. Miracles the world has never seen and never will see again. And blood was poured out. The sun turned to darkness when Christ was nailed to that cross. And three days after he died, he rose. 
God showed incredible wonders. At the time, he poured out his spirit. And I take it there are more still to come. I take it that this, this list is not all chick- ticked off. And so now everyone, even among the survivors of the Jews, even among those, the survivors of Judah, but then also among all people, God has poured out his spirit on all who call on the name of Jesus and all will be saved. Well, if we fast forward from Joel, five, six hundred years, we're not exactly sure exactly when Joel uh, was alive. But if we fast forward five, six hundred years, a fisherman named Peter who up to this point was a nobody, stood up in the middle of a Jewish festival. And this Jewish festival in Jerusalem was called Pentecost. And do you know what the people celebrated at Pentecost? It was a festival that celebrated the first fruits that came at the very, very beginning of the harvest. Pentecost was a festival celebrating those first little early ripening fruits, the first wheat where the grain was fully ready, a sign of the harvest that was about to come when all the rest of the crops were ready to be harvested. At this festival, celebrating the first fruits of the harvest that's about to come, God poured out his spirit on all 120 of his believers, these survivors of Israel who he had called. Fire rested on their heads but did not burn them. And these sons and daughters, these old men, these young men, these men and these women, they prophesied about the great things that God had done. And Peter stood up in front of all the people and he quoted from Joel. At this festival of the first fruits of the harvest that is coming, Peter quotes the prophet who prophesied a great harvest that would come after all the drought and famine and fire and locusts. And Peter says, God is keeping his promises. He has done here what he has said he would do because he has poured out his spirit before that day. He's poured out his spirit before the day when Jesus returns. Before that day of harvest. And all who call on the name of Jesus will be filled with that same spirit who raised Jesus from death. See, Jesus is the first fruit to the harvest, isn't he? He, by that same spirit, is the first who was raised from death back to life. That same spirit that will raise us from death to life. The same spirit that healed him will heal us on the day when Christ returns. So even though we suffer now, even though you may have had year after year after year of suffering, and drought and turmoil 
Maybe you can't even remember when you had a year that wasn't like that. And maybe as you look ahead to the rest of your life, every indication says that it's not going to change until the day you die. We can be glad and rejoice and not be afraid because we know that that day is coming. The suffering will end. When Christ returns, he will repay us over and above, a thousand times over, for all the years that the locusts have eaten. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you have given us an answer and you have given us your incredible promises. The suffering we experience will end when Christ returns. We will never again be put to shame, never again be scorned, never again will we have a bad year or a bad day. But you'll repay us for all the years of suffering with eternal and endless and unimaginable blessing. Lord, please help us not to be afraid, to be glad that the end is coming and to rejoice. Amen.